we're going to start a new series today um, on faith. Thank you for that spontaneous uh, outburst. Um, what we're going to, what we're going to do is um, t- t- over the next few weeks. Obviously, next week's different. It, uh, John March, the uh, vicar at St Luke's, will decide what he's going to preach on, and it won't. I doubt it will be related to this series. Um, so, then, so it starts this Sunday, and then we'll carry on for about probably about six or so Sundays afterwards, just looking at different elements of faith uh, and. Um, well, I want to particularly um, say some things on faith, full stop, before we look at the particular element of faith we're talking about today. And um, I want to help you understand, I think there is a lot of misunderstanding about the subjects of faith. So I want to just try and help you um, understand faith by helping you see what it isn't. Sometimes when you understand what something isn't, then you understand what it is better. And so what I want to do, I want to um, imagine a family, we imagine a family with four children, and three of those children are um, the uh, different kinds of opposites to faith and the fourth child is an expression of faith. Now, what's he talking about? Well, just bear with me because hopefully it will be a slightly more memorable uh, illustration that will stick in your mind more than just what is faith and what isn't faith. So faith has got primarily um, three enemies. The first one is unbelief. Now, unbelief in the Bible, when it talks about uh, unbelief, it's talking about an obstinate, stubborn refusal to believe. So, uh, unbelief is like a rebellious child. It's the rebellious child of the family. The, 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 the child that is refusing to um, go the way of their parents, refusing to submit to their parents' ways, refusing to be in line. Okay? That's number one enemy. Uh, and number two is doubt. It's a different word that's used, and it's talking more about... Um, being in two minds, wavering, and so I guess we could say doubt is like a timid, undecisive child. Undecisive, indecisive? Indecisive. So a timid, indecisive child is like doubt. So they they can't make up their mind, they go this way, and then they go that way, and they're kind of afraid to really go for it. That's, that's what doubt looks like. It's different from unbelief. Unbelief is a stubborn, I'm not going to trust here. Um, uh, doubt is just all over the place. Um, and then the third one is, um, is what I would call believism, which is where you just try to make yourself believe something because you know you should. Um, and that's like how I would describe that is like the, the child that wants to please too much. They're just in the sense of they, they're so just wanting to get the right response that they just, what, what, what response should I do? Oh, okay, I'll do that then. But there's no conviction behind it. They're just constantly just trying to please. Does that make sense? And I think that you can do that. Oh, I know, I know. If you're a Christian, you think, well, I know I should believe. So fine, I, I believe, you know. And, but there's, there's no, no deep conviction behind it. It's actually a sort of a form of hypocrisy, which really just means wearing a mask and acting. It kind of looks, you think, well, it sounds like faith and kind of looks a bit like it, but there's nothing behind it. It's a show um, because you know what you ought to do. These three things are real enemies of faith, real enemies of, of true faith. Um, the, the true faith would be uh, best um, expressed in a fourth child that would be a confident and trusting child. Whether that expresses itself in wild, loud enthusiasm, that kind of child, or whether it's a very quiet, reserved child, nevertheless there is a trusting confidence in the parents. A trusting confidence in the character of the parents and the wisdom of the parents and, and, and a responsiveness to, to the way the parents are wanting to bring them up and teach them things. That's what faith looks like. 
It can be really loud and risky and going for stuff. Sometimes faith is manifested through being, having the nerve and the, the trust to be able to sit it out and wait in a season. It, you can't be too simplistic as to what it looks like. It looks like different things at different times. But the heart of it is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Does that make sense? That's what faith is. And we need to be, uh, we're going to be taught on that as we work through different elements of faith. And today I want us to talk about faith for harvest. Um, and I'll explain um, what, what I mean by that. In the Bible, harvest is referred to in two ways. The concept of harvest, if we could have the first uh, slide up, I'll explain the two different ways that primarily when the Bible talks about harvest. Um, the first way is when the Bible talks about people being saved. Lots of, pe- lots of people being saved is referred to as a harvest, a spiritual harvest, um, whereby God, uh, through sowing his goodness and the message of the gospel into his creation, um, receives a crop of those who have believed and belong to him. Salvation. The second way that he's talking about is the end of the world, where frequently in Jesus' parables he'll talk about the end time harvest when the angels come and they gather up you know, the, 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 whole, the whole harvest of the world and then separate out the wheat from the tares or the wheat from the chaff and this whole end of the world separation uh, between those who have trusted and those who haven't. Um, so when I talk about faith for harvest today, I'm talking about the first thing, faith to believe God for um, uh, a good number of people to come to know uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what I'm talking about. That the Lord, does the Lord, what does it look like to be in faith, to be confident and trusting that God wants to bring a harvest? Now you see, it's important that we look at this and talk about this and think it through carefully. Because again, this is one of those things that as a Christian you kind of feel like you should believe. Do you know what I mean? You feel like I should believe there. Uh, but the danger there, you can end up being like the third child, where you, you don't really know why you should believe it, really. You just know all the other Christians seem to talk about it a lot and believe it, and I, I want to fit in. <laughs> or, I, you know, I, I don't want to be unbelieving. So you can kind of say, yeah, yeah, but you don't actually believe it. So I want us to just explore this. I hope you'll find it helpful, uh, edifying, uh, and stimulating um, as we do so. Just to sound these two harvests, the Bible does link the two. In Matthew 24, verse 14, Jesus says, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed to all nations and then the end will come. And so the two things do come together. The Bible is clear that when every people group on the planet has heard the gospel, um, that the, the end will not come before that time. And I think there's currently about five to 6,000 people groups that have never heard of Jesus on the planet. So there's a lot of work to be done. Um, so I want, to, I want us to explore this um, together today. I want to just quickly refer to, in every one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, extraordinary things are said at the end. Just to give you a, just a, a taste, in Matthew, Jesus says, as we heard last week, make disciples of all nations, just before he ascends. In Mark, the phrase is, proclaim the good news to the whole of creation. In Luke, we, um, Jesus says, um, proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sins to all nations. In John, it's worded like this where Jesus says to the disciples as the father sent me I'm sending you whatever way you look at it it's big whatever way you look at it and so it's only right to have a sense of largesse and expectation and bigness when we think about the gospel it's not just that um, we want to be in the premier league you know we want to be in the religious premier league we better think big it's not that At the heart of the Christian faith, just before Jesus ascended to be with the Father, he said to his disciples, think big. He said, I want you to carry the nations in your heart. I want you to be confident that you have the message, you can proclaim forgiveness of sins. It's extraordinary. 
Are we to make disciples of every nation? Are we to preach the gospel to the whole of creation? That is the heart of Christ. Therefore, that is the heart of God. Therefore, God wants to put that into our hearts. So it's just knowing that. Um, that that's why we talk in the ways that we talk. Something very big is expected um, and, uh, and special um, in return for what Jesus has um, accomplished. Um, now, the reason why is because the gospel gets to the heart of all that's wrong. The reason why it's such a, this must go to every nation is because this is the message and the only message that can deal with the heart of the human problem. The Bible says the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. It's not social structures. They are, evil social political structures are a manifestation of the evil in the heart. Oppressive governments and nations and unjust systems are a manifestation of greed, selfishness, evil in the heart on a big scale. And only the gospel can deal with those things, those big things, because only the gospel can deal with a human heart. It's only through the gospel that we can receive a brand new heart, a heart that beats with love for God, a heart on which his laws are, are inscribed. We can only be born again through the gospel. That's why it's so, so important. And you might have been a Christian for years and think, I know all this, but it's important to hear it again. And it's important I'll stir you up by way of reminder today that you, that you realise it doesn't, it's not just, it can just become very vague. This is really, really important stuff. And so um, I want us to just look for a while, a few, a, a few short points today, and then if, hopefully we'll have time. I'm going to try and be quite fast because I want to do five minutes for just Q&A at the end so that we make sure that we really get it. The first thing is, is that why, why should we be expectant for a big harvest? Okay? Other than what Jesus has said, why should we expect in our hearts that many, many people will come to know Jesus? The first thing is, is that there's some Old Testament prophecies. So prophecies in the part of the Bible before Jesus came and it just says things like this. Of the increase of Jesus' government and of peace, there will be no end. That means the, the government of Jesus, which basically, Jesus' government is, what does that mean? Well, it means basically that hearts are submit, bowing the knee and submitting to the Lord Jesus as their king. Whenever someone says, Jesus, you're my Lord now, the government of Jesus advances. His kingdom increases. The Bible says of the increase of his government, there will be no end. It will continually increase. In, in, the, in, in the book of Daniel, it's, it, it's a different image, and it's spoken about as like a little stone that's cut out from a mountain, but it's not cut out by human hands. It's kind of like a, it's not a man thing, it's a divine thing. It's a little stone, but it ends up becoming a mountain that fills the whole earth. It's the same idea. So essentially there's lots of Old Testament prophecies. I've picked out a couple, for example, which should give us a really strong foundation for trusting that Jesus' kingdom is going to grow and grow and grow and be really extraordinarily large. Um, the second thing is that there's the New Testament teaching. Jesus says things like the harvest is plentiful. That's what Jesus says. The harvest is plentiful. There, it's just that the workers are few. There's not an issue with the harvest. There are many, many people who um, have not yet heard of the Lord Jesus Christ um, and would love to hear of him. There are many people who have heard, and maybe at one point they, they weren't interested, but something's happening in their heart, and now they would love to hear some more. It's so true. Um, also in Colossians 1.6, it talks about the message bearing fruit and growing in the whole world. Um, you might think, isn't that a bit of an exaggeration? Well, when Paul wrote it, you might think, gosh, Paul, that kind of seems a little bit optimistic. Um, but if you look at it today, it's proved true. It's gone from 12 till, I don't know, anything from uh, estimate from 1.5 to 2 billion on the planet. That's pretty extraordinary. For something to go from 12 people to around 2 billion, that's impressive. That's successful. 
that that's amazing. We mustn't just take that for granted. That's and so if that's where it's gone, I think we can be very very hopeful. Does that make sense? Yeah. Right. So I'm just trying to lay, just really just bring some really clear teaching. You know, I'm not saying believe. I'm just trying to give you the facts and just help the, the content. Yeah. So so because faith isn't just someone can't shout you into faith. You need content. You need to know in your heart what has God promised. Is He faithful? And when you, when you become convinced of that, that's faith. So I'm just trying to show you. Now, the second question I want to ask is, this, is it on track? I've got a nice little picture. hope you appreciate it. Thank you. It's two tracks. Thank you. Uh, I'm becoming, you know, technically savvy and the fruit is evident. Uh, is it on track? Um, uh, that's an important question to ask. Is it, is, it, is it on track? So I've got a few, a few little kind of potential no, but yes. So here's the first thing we can say. Um, we might say, well, look, do you know what? I, I know people that were following Jesus, but they aren't following him anymore. In fact, some of you here may know numbers of people. If you've been a Christian a while, you might say, I can count a number of people that used to really love Jesus, but now they don't seem to really care. They don't seem to be anywhere. Well, what's, going, what's going on with that? Well, what I would say to that is, is, is simply this, is that Jesus did teach, didn't he, in the very famous parable of the sower, that there would be some who would just say no to the gospel. There will be others who would say yes and bear loads of fruit to the glory of God. But there will be these two categories in the middle. The first category would be those who say yes, but it's just like enthusiasm. You know, it's, it's this very shallow thing going on. And as soon as any difficulty comes up, they've gone. Jesus said there would be some like that. And then another category, Jesus said, there will be some, it goes into the soul, but there's all kinds of weeds in it. There's the deceitfulness of riches. There's the anxieties, the worries of life. There's longings for other things. And they grow up and they choke the word. It doesn't bear any fruit. And so actually, we need to be sober and recognize Jesus warned us there would be this kind of thing. We mustn't be disillusioned, therefore, when we see it happen. You might say, okay, well, in our world, Bible-believing Christianity seems on the wane. It really does. I would say, no, not in our world at all, but in our nation, maybe. In our world, the opposite is true. In our world, the opposite. In the last 14 years, more Muslims have come to Christ than in the last 1,400. In the, in the southern hemisphere, the gospel is advancing like wildfire. We are in a very unusual situation, this part of the world. And I would say this, it seems that different nations at different times go through different seasons under God's sovereignty. I don't understand it. I think it's a macro stuff that you can't necessarily... Um, I think you can still be faithful and be fruitful even if you're in a bit of a winter season, but I think seasons are seasons. And I think we need a lot of wisdom to be able to discern wh- where we're at and, and what's going on. And just be, be there's a humility there in just saying, well, hey, at the moment the, the winds seem cold. Um, but I say, believe you me, God's gospel is, is bearing fruit all over the world and growing in extraordinary ways. And boy, oh boy, oh boy, is there a whole lot of prayer going up for UK and Europe. And God is going to answer that prayer. God has not forgotten us. So then you might say, well, okay... Um, Difficulties in life. It just seems to be, life seems to be getting harder. Maybe you're looking around, things you see on the news, it just seems to be going crazy. Well, what I would say is this if you read the Bible, you tend to see very often at times of amazing breakthrough, huge difficulty. So you, the, the Israelites are in slavery in Egypt and it gets to a point of utter unbearable groaning and then God breaks in. 
Or you see, even when Jesus is born and then Herod sends for every child under two in the area to be slaughtered and have to escape and smuggle into Egypt. Things awful. I don't know how many young children just slaughtered. It's awful. And there is the reality of this spiritual struggle that we're in. The Bible is very clear. There is a titanic spiritual struggle going on, but the victory belongs to the Lord. Okay? If you don't, if you can't, Hold both of those, you're going to go wrong as a Christian. There is a huge, real spiritual struggle going on. That's why we're called to pray, we're called to act, we're called to... Because these things are powerful, because we're the people of God as Christians. But we must also have absolute confidence that victory belongs to the Lord. The horse and the rider get ready in the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. He always wins. And he will win. The final thing is, 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 is that what has been promised in the Bible is coming to pass. So we, this, this should give us great heart. And the Bible says this about the Lord Jesus. I, I love these verses. Listen to this. It says about Jesus. There's this great tenderness, but there's this great strength. It says, um, um, a bruised reed he will not break. A faintly burning wick he won't quench. Don't you love that? Any of you ever been a faintly burning wick? And he didn't quench you, did he? He just got around you and blowed you back. And he will if that's where you're at now. Right? So that's our Jesus. But listen, he will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. Do you like that? Listen to He will not grow faint or be discouraged or be bruised till he has established justice in the earth. He is absolutely determined. You know, the Father has promised the Son, the nations, the whole world is his inheritance. And so he has been commissioned by the Father to bring justice to the earth. And he will, he will through his church. And through his church, every one of his enemies will gradually be gathered under his feet as a footstool. And then at that point, he will return and take up his throne in a new heavens and a new earth. And we will be there with him. And it will be as real, much more real, some dreamy thing, much more real than this. But his lordship, his kingship will be fully and perfectly expressed. That's the purpose of God. So it is on track. Do not be disillusioned, do not be disheartened, do not be confused, do not be knocked off course. Yeah? Next question. Can my little efforts and my little life contribute in any way to this great purpose of worldwide harvest? Oh yeah. Jars of clay. Uh, Yes, and here's some reasons why. Now, please engage with this, because when we talk macro, there's a tendency for us all to go, yeah, but my little life. What about Monday? Yeah, but my manager. Yeah, but my family. Yeah, but my church. So, can my little life... Yes, here's some reasons why. You ready? Number one. He delights in in using jars of clay. That that, that image means that we're very normal. There's a treasure, but it's in jars of clay. So we can get a bit cracked at times, or we may not look like, wow, just normal. But the Bible says that he loves to use jars of clay because he gets the glory when amazing things happen then. I just love the fact that being a Christian is not about being impressive, don't you? Just think, thank you, God. I simply couldn't survive under the pressure of being involved in something where I had to be impressive. Because I would be constantly torn between, or being torn away from being just honestly who I am. But you know what? I love that song. You know, it, we can't be beaten because in my weakness, you are strong. So my efforts, he is happy to use. Your efforts, he is happy to use for his glory. Hallelujah. Number one. Number two, 
Yes, your life can because Jesus sees the laborers as the key to the harvest. He says the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray therefore that the Lord of the harvest will thrust out laborers into the harvest field. And so actually Jesus says what we need is laborers. That's just people that are willing to work. Are you willing to work for the gospel? What does that mean? It basically means are you willing to see your life wherever God has put you um, as his mission on your life to reach those people by loving them, by uh, sharing Jesus with them, just honestly, normally. You haven't got, again, you haven't got to suddenly become something. It's just being who you are, but just being open about Jesus where you are. That's being a labourer in the harvest field. It's not going quiet. We'll talk about that at the end, because I know that's actually quite a big deal. But, but that, really, that's it. He, the labourers are the key. So if you're willing to be a labourer, then the harvest is coming in. It's cool, isn't it? Just labour. Yes, because kingdom growth in the Bible is actually presented most of the time as gradual more than dramatic. So when we just like you've got a little mustard seed but it comes the biggest tree, or a little bit of yeast and a loaf, but it ends up affecting the whole loaf. So there's just little things you think, a little bit of yeast and a loaf, I mean, come on, this is a loaf, what's a little bit of yeast gonna do? It affects the whole thing. Wow, my little life, my little little yeast seed can affect the whole thing, yeah. Why? It's the power of the kingdom, the power of the gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. It's very exciting. We've just got to be willing to kind of get involved and shine our light and just, again, just let the Holy Spirit do it. He doesn't just pray about our lives and that God would use them. It's really it. It's just get into the loaf and you haven't got to go in and make a huge impact. It's not like yeast, bam. It's not what it's like. It's just, just rub it in. Whoa, look at the, we left it for a Look what's happened to the loaf. The whole thing's been impacted. That's how the kingdom is spoken about. Always spoken about sowing and watering and then reaping. It's like, there's just some sowing to do, which is just, you just talk about Jesus and, you know, by God's grace, do your best to live a life that kind of, you know, adorns the gospel well. And when you mess it up, be humble enough to say, I'm sorry there, that was a bad witness. That's it. That's it. And, 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 and that's sowing and that's watering and, and the Lord will bring some growth. So yes, your life absolutely can. Yes, because the Bible says that there are people of peace, in quotes, that God has prepared. There's people that just will receive us. It's just a God thing. It's just there are people that are prepared to hear the gospel. So, hallelujah. And if people don't want to hear, then we respectfully, we, 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 we sort of, we, we respect that. People say, I don't, want, don't stop talking to me about all that. You know, the Bible doesn't call us to force ourselves on people. Yes, because the gospel is the power of God. Actually, the gospel is the power of God. A friend of mine, Tom, many of you would have met him. I met him at, uh, he came here for a while. I met him at boxing. He's a dear local guy brought up in the area and a total background, not at all Christian background. He went travelling in Australia and he was sitting on a bench at one time and a, uh, a woman came and spoke to him about Jesus. He was offended. I don't think there was anything offensive about the way she did it. She just shared a bit. and Because there is something offensive about the gospel just in the sense that basically it, it, the, the true gospel leaves us without uh, any self-righteousness. And that can be offensive. He said it offended him. He said, then I came back to England. He said, just gradually over time it was like someone was just pulling up the blinds. What he'd heard in that moment, which on a natural level had offended him, it had gone to work in his life. And now he loves Jesus. 
just loves Jesus. I remember in the, in the middle of the boxing gym, he was doing some stretches or something, and he's just like, I will praise no other. <laughs> it's like, what? You know, it's just an absolute miracle. Um, you know, you know, or something, we salute no other. Something like, it's all Jesus, you know, just an absolute miracle. It's what the gospel does. Just changes lives. If you're here and you know Jesus, you know the gospel has just changed your life, right? And sometimes through the funniest means and funny, you think, what is that? It's just the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to those who believe. And so, you know, you haven't got to get worked up and uptight about, you know, how well you shared. Um, and then finally, yes, if you will allow room in your hearts for God to share his heart with you. If you just allow God to share his heart with you. He loves the nations and he loves every individual. And he's serious about having a people for himself. Just let him enlarge you in that. So that's absolutely, yes they can. And now final point and final slide, Luke. Now what? Um, just be who you are. Jesus doesn't say, you guys, you know, you better be the light of the world, because I'm the light of the world. Now you better get on and be the light of the world too, because otherwise this thing's not happening. He says, I'm the light of the world, you're the light of the world. You just are. If you're a Christian, you're the light of the world. So it's just, so the, what, what is so amazing about that is that it means that if I'm just truly who I am, and don't hide it, then there's going to be some shining going on. Isn't that great? It's only when I start out of fear, you know, kind of not really giving the credit where it's due, or just kind of going quiet and pretending, oh yeah, you know, I, I, something other than what is really true, what I really truly know in my heart. Only then I'm hiding my light. It's not good. But when I just am honest, just being honest, about Jesus. That's powerful. And will bring much, much light. I want to call this today to, to come out of hiding. Um, to let God's perfect love cast out fear. And I really do not please have any sense of um, me getting this right. I want to share a failure with you this week. Just to let you know that, um, you know, we fail. I want to just share. Can I just share a failure with you this week? Is that okay? I'm hoping that it will build faith in some bizarre way. Um, in the school that our Melody used to go to, there was a, uh, a, a number of parents that, for whatever reason, messed up. I messed up. I just found them in seriously intimidating. Just, I just didn't know what to say to them, didn't even know how to approach them. And in fact, once, one of them I'd been chatting to, as soon as, as I told him what I did for a job, the air just went so cold. It was like someone had changed seasons. Do you know what I mean? It was like, oh my goodness, this is awkward. And we just sort of, just, you know, but, you know, it just... Well, two of the most intimidating parents came into uh, a cafe where I was working the other day, and uh, it was it was one of those moments. I was just working on some stuff. Bible was out, da, da, da. and uh, as I saw him, I just thought, "Oh no!" Do you know what I mean? It was a real "Oh no" moment, and I, I just kept doing what I was doing. I'm not going to. I can't even can't even get eye contact with him. And then I saw my Bible was out, and to my shame, I thought, "Oh no," because I remembered that conversation with that guy. And I thought, what he, what, as soon as I heard what I did, he thought like that of me. Now he's going to see me and he's probably going to think, all that man ever does is read the Bible. You know, I just, and then I, felt, I caught myself thin. I was like, Jesus, I'm so sorry that that was even in my heart. Do you know, Jesus, I'm, I'm sorry. And then they went and sat outside the cafe. And then on my way out, I, I did feel, just go and say hello to them. And I reasoned myself out of it. And there comes a point where to, to, to double back would just be so, so lamely obvious. Do you know what I mean? Just even, I just, and I, I just fluffed it. I just, I just gave, this is me leading a prayer meeting on fear two days before. Now let's not, let's not 
or my story, if that was that, there would be some serious concerns. But, you know, I just gave way to fear. And I do want to say I'm sorry because, I'm sorry to you, because I'm calling you to love and fearlessness. And in that moment there, I didn't do it. And I want you to pray for me and I want us to pray for each other to just, there's a, there's a freedom God has for us. I know it. I just know it. Um, uh, you know, I'm not going to take that situation and say, oh, well, there you go then. No. No, 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 no. God has promised us freedom through the Holy Spirit. And God has promised us boldness through the Holy Spirit. And I, boy, boy have I known that in my life. I, oh, yeah, I have known that. But God, I want to know it more and more consistently, don't you? So I just wanted to just show that we do live in a culture of fear. We don't live in a culture of free speech. We don't. People might say we do, but we do not live in a, you, We live in a culture of free speech as long as you say what people want to hear. When you don't, there is bullying, there is shame. Do you remember when them... I forgot, who were those fashion guys? Those two famous fashion guys. I mean, they're gay men themselves, but they, they were Italian. They were speaking about Dolce and Cabana. They were speaking about their views on traditional family life. Just been, they weren't even being like horrible. They were just sharing what they thought. And, you know, suddenly Elton John's, you know, going crazy on Twitter and Posh Spice, you know, so I'm, I'm not going to buy anything from them anymore. And you think, man, what is, what is this? They weren't, there was nothing, there was nothing attacking or hostile or think they were simply showing what they really thought. But we do not live in a culture of free speech. We live in a culture of actually of political intimidation. That is the truth of it. That's where we've got to here. And I just want to say this. I have experienced mockery for the gospel and other things like that. And it, the thought of it is always worse than it. I will say that the thought of it is always... It's a bit like sparring at boxing. The thought of sparring at boxing is like, oh no. But actually once you're in it, it's alright. You get hit, but it's alright. Yeah, but the thought of it is worse. It's the same with this. It's the thought of it. Once you actually think, so actually it's all right. And I tell you, boy, does Jesus come close in those moments. It's like, what? You just, you just think, you really are with me. Cause why? Well, because probably because I'm now obeying the commission. <laughs> and he promised that as we do that, he'll never leave us or forsake us. You go, oh, okay, this is great. <laughs> do you see? Yeah, so the thought of it is always worse than it. The other thing I want to say is this. With the Jehovah's Witnesses, very, very active... And the Mormons, very, very active, and others. We can feel like just another market stall, can't we? Just another, another voice in the religious supermarket. I want to just read this to you. That is not what we are about. This is what we are about. Listen to what Jesus says. All that the Father gives me will come to me. He's talking about people. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. I have come down from heaven not to do my own will but the will of him who sent me and this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me but raise it up on the last day for this is the will of my father that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. Wow! That's what we're about. That is gospel truth and it's a wonderful thing. So I want to just say, finally end by saying, don't be straitjacketed by formulas and wrong pressures and this, that. I've got to do it this way. I've got to do it that way. Be who you are. Let your light shine. 
And God will work out the miracle of bringing new life to people around you. They haven't got to say a certain prayer and use certain words. No, repent and believe. Okay, repent and believe and you will be born again and forgiven. We've got a fleet festival coming up. We've got our neighbours. We've got our families. There's so many people around us who do not yet know this incredible news that God has done it. He's done it so that anyone, any, 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 anyone, whatever race, age, background, whatever, anything, life experience can be totally forgiven and reconciled to God because of the cross. It's a simple message. And you know, you haven't got to explain all of it in order for someone to get saved. What did you know? What did you understand when you first came to know Jesus? Wow, could you explain atonement? You know, you just knew Jesus loves me and died for me. And he said, all right, I'm in. And wow, new life comes, spirit comes, and you learn from there. There is a wonderful simplicity about this. And I want to encourage us in it. And any of you in the room, you think, I, 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 don't, I don't know this Jesus. You can know Jesus. In fact, it's stronger than that. The Bible says that God is calling all people everywhere to repent, which means change their thinking and realize you are loved by God. So much so that he's given his only son for you. Who is the king of all the nations, but he laid down his life. To pay for your sin and win you to himself. And now he's alive forevermore. And he's calling you to him. Call on his name and you will be rescued. Amen? Amen. Amen. We've got two questions. Maybe the band, you want to come up and get ready while we're doing some questions. So we're ready to pump as soon as the questions are done. Two questions. If there are any. It's pretty straightforward. Yes, Rebecca. Great. What's the difference between real faith and believism? Real faith is when you really believe. (laughs) Believism is when you're trying to convince yourself that you do. And you only have to convince yourself of something when you don't really. So it's normally marked by frenetic, something frenetic going on. Some kind of, um, uh, kind of constantly saying certain words. um, Constantly kind of... um, um, pushing down the, what's really going on in your heart. The, real faith is a conviction. Sure of what I hope for. Certain of what I do, do not see. Now those things will be often assailed by doubts. But what I've, as I shared about doubts the other week, what I've always found is as I've walked through those, that conviction goes deeper than those doubts and those doubts don't win. So, uh, so really it's quite touchy-feely, but I do think assurance is assurance. You know because you know because you know. And that can be whether it's either about the gospel, which is the, the, the foundation, Jesus and who he is. But I do think there are moments in the, in the journey where God gives you a promise. And you know because you know because you know. Uh, and you can't explain it. It's supernatural. Final question, Chris. Thanks, That's all right. What do you do when someone or many people blow your mind? You can't even get a single God thought together. You're just being told, bombarded. Yeah. No God. Or whatever it is. Yeah. It's a great... Yeah, that's a great question. There are certain environments and relationships you can be in that are so intensely, or even sometimes subtly, but so all-pervasively um, anti the gospel. Um, what I would say is, is that it's, I would kind of view it maybe as a bit of a, sorry for the boxing illustration again, but like a bad first round and a bad second round. 
and a bad third round, but you're still in it. So I remember my first encounter with Jehovah's Witnesses, on, I think it might be my first, I can't remember, but early in the faith, and they sent, I had the experts, do you know what I mean? And they just, on the doorstep, they just totally shot me out of the water, unraveled me and sort of sent me into the ground theologically, and then said, have a nice day, and gave me some magazines. And so I swore back indoors like, oh my goodness, everything I ever thought's been, you know, I might have told you a story before, so I thought the only thing to do is to have a bath. It was one of those moments. So I put the bath on, and, um, and I sat down um, just in the bathroom, and I remember just going, Father... And at that moment, I thought, look at my response. Look at my intuitive response to what just happened. Do you know, they totally undid me, but Abba Father. And so I think it's, say, it's saying, I just, that, I didn't do so well there. <laughs> um, but you know what? I still love the Lord. And by God's grace, I want to learn to become more robust. And, and I want to learn to be increasingly... Um, through ongoing loving witness of what I say and how I live and what I do to trust that God will use my efforts I think it's as, just as honest and normal as that should we sing? alright great it's quarter five so we've got 15 um, more minutes and you know I just let, you know I do I do think there's some I do think through this faith series that there's going to be some really wonderful things that are sturdiness I really do um, and so why don't we stand I'm just going to pray and it's going to go Lord just thank you for the thank you for faith and thank you that you love faith thank you for the way Lord that you are so pleased even though you you author faith you put it in us that you love it still and Lord I want to just pray that even now as we break bread I want to pray for fresh faith to come I want to pray for all those Lord who are bruised reeds and dimly burning wicks I want to pray Lord that you just by the spirit would breathe fresh faith I want to pray for those who just there's some here some of you here you feel like absolute saplings the slightest little wind blows on you and it's it's all over i just feel like some of you as, as you hear that's what you're feeling i feel a prophetic word from the lord for you that he wants to know he wants he wants you to know he will make you into an oak of righteousness if you will let him he is what he does he's the author and the perfecter of our faith he brings it right through to completion so trust him with that eyes off yourself eyes onto him amen